Well, we also do know we are talking about a male anatomy, a nutbag. Hey, Michelle. Hi, Geordie. How's Trix? How are you? Oh, well, I'm all right. How about you? Trix. Tricks are great. I'm full of tricks. Are you turning tricks? No, I'm turning red. <laughs> oh. Turning tricks. You're such a bitch. <laughs> Do you know what? You know, I could be. What, you're going to keep it secret? <laughs> Would anyone buy what you're selling? I wonder. I don't know. I don't know if anyone's going to pay good money for this anymore, really, or even bad money. I, you can't really see it properly, but my face is a lobster. I accidentally went in the sun for too long with no sunscreen because it had been snowing and then... Rookie error. Stupidity. I should have known. Yeah, I'm in pain. I've just been having a conversation with my dad about a car that he bought uh, for me to drive in Australia and then took three months to sell and he's explaining to me that that's what they call a lemon in Australia, that car. It and is. I'm wondering if that's what we might call you. Oh, I'm a lemon, am I? <laughs> <laughs> Today. Do you know what? Like, I knew that those cars were called a lemon. It's like, yep. Yeah, I knew that. What, did he think that was new information? Yes. Oh, bless him. How's the old wildlife going? So, yes, I am back in Australia again. The wildlife is quite strange. I've heard a bird, not like the stupid bird that was here last time, because I'm in a different room on a different side of the house now. Right. There's a different set of problems. Okay. There's a different bird. <laughs> now, I thought there was a baby being murdered, but when I put, or somebody having, giving birth, oh. I opened the window and I looked and there's about five or six different birds and I can still see them sitting there. I think they may be statues. I'm not sure. The lady across the road has lots of statues of woodland creatures and animals all around like a menagerie but there's lots of them but this bird if I can find a sound effect to liken it to it would be the groaning of somebody in pain for a very 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 long time and at the end it's a gargle (laughs) a shocking loud gargle what the fuck That's a bird. Wait for it. And then... Come on. And then what happens? There you have it. <laughs> the last gasp. The last gasp. I don't know what that bird is. Do you? I don't know. I think there must be new birds in Australia because... Coming from other lands. Yes, maybe. Maybe they were smuggled mm. in, in a suitcase, <laughs> in those toilet rolls, and they drug those birds and poor pop them in... things. And then they keep you awake all night. Oh. So not poor things, really. It's like, why the fuck were they smuggled in? Yeah. But anyway, look... We haven't even introduced ourselves. No, we haven't, Michelle. We've been remiss. I'm Geordie. And I'm Michelle. And this is Eavesdropping the Podcast. The comedy podcast. You're supposed to laugh. Damn you, laugh. (laughs) Yeah, it's because, you know, we're talking all about the birds turning tricks. And the boys. Yeah. Michelle. 
last week's episode, yes. I told you that I had been reading my old favourite source of all things unusual and odd, The Fortean Times. It's a magazine and it's based on the idea of the strange. Charles Fort was the guy who first started looking at odd things and then they made this magazine called Fortean Times. Anyway, it was because on the front cover was Danny Robbins and the lady from Witch Farm. And we did an episode on Witch Farm not that long ago. Well, I ended up reading that on the plane over, the whole mag, right? It was a really interesting article about Witch Farm, although they didn't go into detail about Bill Rich, the husband of the family. If you listen to our episode, the ending is quite interesting and it links to the occult. They didn't touch on that. Maybe they don't know about it, Jordy. Do you think we should discreetly send them? They would have listened to Danny Robbins' episode. Hi, look, if you want to know more about the story, (laughs) We do need to get in touch, though, because later on in a double-page spread, on one side there was the Ohio train crash slash chemical leak that you talked about. And the link between the film White Noise as well. And that was covered by us in season four episode, I don't know. And on the other side was... A page with the medium Jason Rothwell and how he found two bodies, one being Nicola Bully and how police often get information from mediums but never admit that it was from mediums. And we discussed that in episode, I don't know, season four also. I've not written the bloody episode number. But yeah, that was like about two or three episodes ago. Jordi, do you think they're listening to us and copying us? I feel like we are ahead of the zeitgeist. Yes. And also, later on, Michelle, in the same magazine, there was a story about the UFO slash spy balloons from China over the USA. We need to get in touch with the Fortean Times. We need to tell them they need to start being eavesdroppers if they're not already eavesdroppers. I think they bloody are. Mm. If you're listening, Fortean Times, give us a shout out. Shout us us out. We need more 50 plus male demographic, (laughs) unusual truth seekers, whatever, interested in the occult and the different listening to our podcast. Yes, we do. Now, look, I'm going to make a link here. Not that Neil the Scientist is a 50 plus uh, (laughs) eavesdropper interested into the occult, but he is a male. (laughs) Yeah. So there's the connection. I'm joining some dots here. Now, we have had some very interesting information from Neil the Scientist. I'm just going to pull it up on my phone. It harks back to the Calvine incident episode that we did. And now if you haven't listened to that, it was a UFO in the early 90s that was spotted by two lads in the middle of nowhere in the Scottish Highlands. So then Neil the Scientist, who's real, Orange Peel. Yep, he he is real. got in touch. He is real. He says, and these are his words, I love this one. I think he means the episode. Yeah. I'll have a look at the Mars thing. Because we also did talk about We talked about Mars, Mars, Jesus as an alien. Yes. Jesus as an alien. And he says, nutbags will see Jesus on a corn chip, remember? Uh, Hang on. Nutbags? Are we allowed to call them that? They're his words. I'm just repeating Neil the scientist. I think it's a technical scientific term. Technical scientific term. Okay. A nut and a bag. A bag. Nut and a bag together. Yes. (laughs) You like to always put nuts and bags together, don't you, Michelle? Well, we also do know we are talking about a male anatomy. A nut bag. Yes. You like to talk about yes. that part of the body. It's your favourite, isn't it? Well, <laughs> if it's soft like suede, yes. Oh! Very nice. Anyway, moving right along. <laughs> Sorry, Neil, I've sullied your uh, your comment. Now, he says here... I don't know what to think. <laughs> oh, seriously, you're only laughing because it's true. Oh. He says here, oh. my take 
on the one Harrier theory. Now, just anyone who didn't listen to the episode, the one Harrier theory. Yes. Now, I said it was one Harrier jet and you said, oh, there's probably more. They just weren't in the picture. Well, they weren't in the picture. There's only one been found, but I do yeah. believe more were sent. However, okay. I, I need to find my facts on that. So please don't take that as fact. It's just opinion at this point. The one Harrier. So you've got this weird UFO in the sky hmm. and a picture snapped by these hiker guys with a Harrier jet in the background. Yeah. Now, Neil says his take on the one Harrier theory is that the Ministry of Defence only sent one mm-hmm. because they knew the craft was friendly, i.e. US or potentially UK secret tech rather than aliens in a diamond shape UFO. I agree, Neil. Now, he says... They just wanted to get some nice pics and give the friendly pilot person a day out. More soon. Now. Uh, Oh, sounds like he's got more info. Well, the thing is, I've got more info. Oh. Yeah. This all happened, obviously, in the early 90s. But it's all kicked off in the press in the last few weeks. Yes. And from memory, your story was about this particular guy. It was the Calvine incident, but the guy who who shot that film was called Kevin something. Russell. Is that right? Yeah. Kevin Russell. And he's never been located. He's never been tracked down. No, and down. they're still putting a media alert and a call out for him to come forward and claim responsibility yeah. for this. I wonder if he was ever real. Yeah. I think he is. There's a picture of him. There's a picture of him from oh, okay. 1990, whatever it was, 92 when this um, is all kicked off. And, you know, he's real. He's a real guy. That's pre-catfish, so he must be real. (laughs) I mean, it's – look, I'm going to put a link because The Sun did a report on this just on the 25th of March this year with a picture of him in it from back in the day because they are urging Kevin to come forward. But basically – Urgent, Kevin. Come on. Come forward. Please do. And if you're an eavesdropper – He's not an eavesdropper. Get in touch with us. Well, he might be. How dare you? You don't know. Okay. <laughs> but we might get the scoop. He would have emailed by now. He would have written I don't in. Know, maybe. Who knows? But this uh, article in The Sun, it's really interesting because they are backing up what Neil's thoughts are about all this. They think that it okay. shows a top secret, super advanced US aircraft. And the thing that makes them think that is that US. A military intelligence officer, ex-defense, has come forward saying that, yes, it was actually a defense craft. Ah. And it's really interesting. I mean, I'm not going to go into this article too much because there's a lot of info in there. But in a nutshell, so I got it wrong. It's UK defense intelligence officer, not US. Okay. Uh, he revealed, unprompted, that he had been given the task of investigating what happened at Calvine. He says that um, Kevin, as you so rightly pointed out, could be the final piece of the puzzle here because he saw something he wasn't meant to see. He's saying it's an unmanned, very large craft that was equipped Mm -hmm. with, at that time, super high-tech ground mapping laser technology. Yep. A bit like those things that you can point to the wall and see if there's any um, electrical equipment behind it or stud walls. But do you know what? I actually think this is what Neil the Scientist is involved with, all this ground mapping stuff, or was in his previous um, role 
scientific role. So get in touch, Neil. Maybe you've just given the game away. You might, oh, you, you might have had to have signed an official secrets act or something. Oh, my God. And now maybe. you've just outed him. Do you think that's why he's getting in touch? Because he is the Australian link to what is going on here. But yeah, but basically he said Washington freaked out when these Calvine snaps were given to the Scottish newspaper and they did everything they could to cover it up because they went ballistic. This guy reckons that Calvine vehicle, they're not even calling it a UFO, they're calling it a vehicle, right? Uh, was deployed from the US facility at RAF Makrihanish, which is what we had oh. talked about before. Yes. And this all happened, by the way, apparently, two days after Saddam invaded Kuwait, sparking oh, the first Gulf War. So it's a really intense Tense time. Times. Yeah. yeah. Are you disappointed though, Michelle? A little. I still think it's aliens. <laughs> no, I mean, because again, you know, to be fair, Occam's razor and all that, it is the most likely explanation that this yes. is secret tech. And actually, in this article, they do touch on the fact it could also have been connected to the Aurora technology that we yes, spy. spoke about yeah, as well. Spy tech. And look, they've got a lot of photocopies and reproductions of declassified information. There's also some figures of patents that were lodged of mm-hmm. spy craft that have been put together and patented by the US. Very interesting. There are also yeah, photocopies of other things that connect Russia and America with the Calvine incident. Uh, there's also a picture here of, I don't know if it's a Harrier, but it's definitely some kind of black project, maybe. I mean, a bizarre, bizarre looking aircraft. So look, I'm going to link to this because Okay. It's really, really super interesting. And if you're interested, have a look because Neil the Scientist, you might very well be right. Now, look, just very quickly back to Neil. He also made another comment about mm. the cross that was on, on Mars. Mars that people can see from the Earth. Yes. Now, he's actually gone ahead and spoken to the Mars Society. What? Yep. And it says here... He needs to be a paid-up researcher, Michelle. I know. Lucky he's... I mean, he's got a jingle already. So, you know, he's he's part of the crew. He's part of the crew. And he says that they reckon one is this cross. One is just a small venti fact, which is a stone worn by sand being blown by the wind. And the other is a float rock, Uh which is a rock that has been moved from its original location like sliding downhill and it's of silt stone and sta- and sand stone bedding so there you go so it's pure coincidence that it ended up looking like a crucifix pretty much so i'm really sorry for everyone who thought that maybe jesus was an alien i mean look he still could be he might be a lizard who knows time traveler who knows? But there is some evidence from the Mars Society that it was just potluck That's that it ended amazing. up being a cross. So thank you, I'm Neil. so impressed. Amazing stuff. I am so impressed, Neil. The fact that you just rang up, you wrote in or you rang up. I don't know which <laughs> form of communication you used to get in touch with the Mars Society, but you did. And it was for us. And we love you for it. Thank you, Neil. We do. Now, Michelle. Michelle, I also Jordan. need to address one more apologi. Or not apologi, but a touch on something else we mentioned in last week episode 13 or 14 hang on no it wasn't last week it was episode 13 when we were talking about the medical mishaps and at the beginning 
we were talking about your medical medium, Gwyneth Paltrow connection. Yes. We were talking about love eggs, a.k.a. Well, they're just a vibrator, really, because you said they're jade eggs. They're made of jade and you pop them up there. They don't vibrate. I don't know if well, there is one. That's a vibrator that you stick up. It's just a little egg-shaped vibrator. But you said they were an ancient Chinese ritual, love ritual. And I actually think that you need to amend <laughs> that statement because it really is just a vibrator. And the only Chinese thing about them was probably the origin of manufacture. Maybe it's not a traditional uh, love ritual, but they are jade eggs. Okay, jade. jade eggs. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, whack them up. Maybe the country of origin is China. <laughs> For the jade. I mean, you know, they are known for their jade. That's right. But these ones, the ones on Goop, they don't vibrate. There's no batteries involved. They just clack together when no, you No, they're literally an egg-shaped piece of jade and you pop them up there and it's meant to be good for your kegels. You don't want to lose that. You don't know the amount of things I've read in a 40m Times article. Oh, I thought you were going to say the amount of things I've no, lost up there. No, not things that I've lost up That's there, but the I amount thought. of things I've read in the in the 40m Times where people have lost glass tumblers for 40 years up there. Yes, glass tumblers. Go figure. I'm sorry, I'm I'm actually speechless. Yes, I was aghast as well. And other a things. A glass tumbler. Yes. Guys, what the old hell? men have gotten all sorts of things up there, urethras. Ladies have got them up there, urethra. I mean, oh, I don't even want to say the word urethra again. It's awful. It, well, it is a bit aretha, Franklin. Well, that's nicer than urethra. I guess, but urethra. I don't have a problem with urethra. Only because of people putting things that are way too big to get up. At a, a, anyway, look, I'm going to move on. I, I've upset myself. Just talking about You've things. upset yourself. I've upset You've myself. upset our listeners. I'm sorry, it's listeners. It's not nice. Do you know what? I'm going to move on. We haven't spoken to Natty J for a while, but I bet she wouldn't like it. Oh, no, she doesn't like the nasty stuff. Yeah. She Rude. doesn't like the poo talk. No. Sorry, Natty J, if you're still with us. Sorry about that. Moving right along. Moving on. Okay, well, we do have another listener who hopefully is with us. Her name is Yannicka, formerly of The Tubble. She doesn't have a tubble anymore. She's got a real bath. Have a look at our social media. There's a shot of her in the bath. With a lovely cocktail glass as well. It's a beautiful champagne glass. She likes a glass of fizzy wine in the bath. Anywho, <laughs> she got in touch. Uh, she'd read an article in The Guardian and she sent it to me and I then read it. And so basically, I'm just going to give you the story that I read in The Guardian thanks to Yannicka. It's fascinating and it's a mysterious mystery. Michelle, are you ready? I'm ready for a mysterious mystery. Hit me. Lay it on me. Lay it on you. Okay, we're going back to 1984. There was a two-year-old girl called Elvira and her brothers Ramon and Ricard, aged four and five. And they were found abandoned at the Grand Railway Terminus in Barcelona, Spain. I was going to say, these are quite some names there. European names. Now it all makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I could see your face going, what? He calls their kid Elvira. Are they gods? <laughs> no, they were Spaniards. These children were found in the Grand Hall dressed in designer clothes and they had arrived there, they told people later, in their father's white Mercedes-Benz, which was driven by their father's friend, who was French, named Denis. Now, Denis parked near the Estacion de Francia, the Francia or Francia, I don't know how you pronounce it, sorry, and took the kids inside to the huge hall where you buy the tickets and whatnot and told them to wait while he went and bought them some sweets. So the kids waited and waited and waited. And Denis never came back for them. Oh, shit. So eventually, poor little Elvira, who was only two, started to cry. 
So one of the workers in the railway station went up to them and asked what was going on. Yeah. Ramon, who, oh, Ramon. Ramon? How do you say Ramon? Ramon. Ramon? Ramon. It's not Hamon, that's Ham. That's Ham. <laughs> Let's just call him Ramon. Ramon. Who spoke French and Spanish, mm. told the worker, and he's five, bless him, told the worker what had happened. And then the police were called. When the police turned up, they asked the children lots of questions, obviously, to try and find out who they were, where they were from, and what their last names were and all of that. But these little kids didn't even know any of that stuff. They just couldn't tell them the <gasps> names of their parents. They couldn't tell them their last name. Oh, how, how little were they? What were the ages? Two, four and five. Two, four, five. Maybe they weren't trained to know their surname at that stage. I mean... Or where they lived. Yeah. I guess I didn't even have one of those little pieces of cloth sewn in with the phone number. Do you remember? That's right. We yes, all had yes, those yes. in our school clothes. Your tag. Yep, your tag. Yeah. We actually used to have little T-shirts that said our names on the front. Oh, bless. <laughs> and I loved them. But then one day my mum said we couldn't wear them anymore because they were giveaways to pedophiles. Oh, she's right. They'd know our names. They don't have to say, what's your name, little girl? They're like, hello, Geordie. No. I, hi, how are you? Come with me. Oh. I've got my puppies in the car. Come on. Don't. No. Oh, my God. Sorry. Anyway, these kids, right, the only information that they could give the police was that they recently lived in Paris. So eventually the poor little trio of children were taken to an orphanage in Barcelona and then three days later they were moved to a care home for vulnerable children because no parent or no gr- grown-up or adult was coming to look for them. Mm. I know. So they were there for a few weeks before they were finally fostered by an educational psychologist called Marissa Manera and her husband, Luis Moral. A lovely couple. They took the children and just tried to get on with life as normal. And bits and pieces about their former life would come out. Particularly, they would remember their father had lots and lots of flashy cars. There was a lot of European travel. And strangely enough, they all had this memory of a grandmotherly type of lady wearing all black who used to always make them drink milk when they were with her. So they had these random little bits and pieces coming forward. But also... They were memories that they all had, so it wasn't as if they were making up stories. That's right, but not Elvira. She was the only one who didn't have any. She was yeah. too young. So Maurice and Louise, sorry, Marissa and Louise formally adopted the children in 1986. That's two years after they were dropped off. No one's come forward oh my God. to claim them. So whatever happened, it must be pretty serious. They grew up with Marissa and Louise, and in 2014, Elvira then got married to a guy called Marco and they had a son. And that's when she started to think, who would ever abandon a child? You know, yeah. this is when it became real to her, what it was like to be a parent, the parent's love for a child and whatever happened to her. And she started to feel really sad for that little two-year-old Elvira and she wanted to know what happened. Yeah, She was curious. She wanted to know about health conditions and all that kind of stuff that might come along with it. You know, the fact that she had no idea about their history. But also, what the fuck happened? Why were they just dumped at a train station? Such a mystery. It must be really something that eats at you, let alone all the abandonment issues. Jesus. And also because when her children got to the same age that she was, or her brothers were when they were abandoned, she wondered, what child doesn't know what their parents' names are? That's what I think. For her, it just seemed really odd. They don't know the parents' names or their own surname. What? It's weird. Unless they were trained. 
Possibly, but they would have remembered that as well. Maybe they wouldn't. I don't Mm. know. So in December 2020, she got herself a MyHeritage DNA test, which showed a small number of matches in France, which is where the children had believed they'd always come from. Right. They just believed because they had French and Spanish, they believed that they were French. Mm -hmm. But actually, even though there were only a small number of matches in France, there was a whole lot more in southern Spain. There was little to go on from that information. But she told her brothers and Marissa that she'd started to try and trace the birth family. And a couple of days later, Marissa got in touch with Elvira and Ramon to tell them to come and meet them at her house. And she had some stuff to tell them. Oh, my God. So Ricard was elsewhere at the time. But so Marissa, their adopted mother, said, look, I've got some faded old newspaper cuttings here that I kept around the time when you guys came to me. And we kept them because we just felt it may have something to do with your disappearance. Okay. And by this time, unfortunately, Luis had died. He passed oh. away when Elvira was 18, their father, who raised them. So the articles that Marissa had kept were all about a Frenchman called Raymond Vaccarizzi, who was a mafia boss from Lyon and had moved to the Spanish coastal village of Lescala, which is 85 miles north of Barcelona in the early 1980s. Right. At that time, gang wars were out of control French police were after him because Vaccarazzi ran a prostitution ring and protection rackets, as well as being known locally or just amongst the crime syndicates as the devil. Oh, shit. Because he was a very violent man. Yes, he was very violent and he used to beat people up. He would also was known for murdering three rivals. Holy so this guy shit. is dark. Yeah. Well, do you know what? He's just doing what he does. That's what a mafia boss does. You know, you protect the, uh, the family, the mob. So late in 1983, he was arrested for murder and sent to a Barcelona jail that was in the middle of a residential district. And it wasn't unusual to see inmates having conversations shouted down from their upper gallery to the family and friends who were in the streets below. So rather than book in to see them, they'd be like, Luigi! I'm here. Can you get Luigi? I've come to see him. Right. Luigi, it's your mum. And they'll be standing on the thing going, hey, mum, how's it going? Kind of nice, actually. I can see a a mini series being made out of this kind of thing. But hang on. So this was in 83. 83. And the kids were dropped off in 84. Yes. So he's in jail late 83. Mm -hmm. And then by 1984, Vaccarizzi arranged for his wife, Antoinette, who was a former sex worker, and she's French, to have a catch up on the street down the down below. Yeah. So he'd be shouting to his wife down through his window grills and they were chatting away. But unbeknownst to him, there was a sniper perched across the way and shot him in the head twice, killing him. <gasps> so this is what the newspaper articles were about. And that's oh how my God. Vaccarizzi became known to Marissa, right. the adopted mother of the three children. He was the mafia boss that got shot in the head while in jail chatting to his wife. Antoinette. Exactly. Intense. In the newspaper article, it said that his wife then took off and left Spain and she abandoned her teenage son by Vaccarizzi, who was taken in by a rival mafia family. So all of this just resonated with Marissa. It just had too many connections. The French connection, the name Raymond Vaccarizzi, his name was the French version Raymond of Ramon. Yes. Raymond. The Ramon, their first eldest boy. Good thinking. And all these things that the kids were talking about that we'd come out with, it all kind of tallied with that kind of mob lifestyle, sudden trips, fast cars. It all seemed to fit. Marissa and Luis at the time, back when they first adopted these kids, wondered if he was their father and worried with that in mind 
him having been shot in the head twice, were they tracking the children and were those children in danger? So Marissa and Louise raised those kids on tenterhooks the whole time. Fucking hell. And also for themselves. You know, the guardians of these children, they're in danger if the kids are in danger. So it's it's scary stuff. Scary stuff, people. Ramon listened to this story with intent. He's 44 now at this point when he heard it. And he looked at the pictures of Raymond Vaccarizzi and he said, no, that's not him. I remember my father clearly. He had the air of a winner and whitish, lots of whitish hair. It wasn't this dark haired gangster that they assumed might be the father. And as a child, also, Ramon had once startled the family by blurting out that a pale haired man on their television looked just like our father as well was that ever investigated like was that an actor or was it someone in the news I don't know if that ever came up again Mm. Elvira and her brothers they only really had a few documents from their childhood to explain very little about them there wasn't much to know the papers just said that the children and their father had lived with Denis the man who dropped them off at the train station and Denis's wife and their children before Mm -hmm. they were abandoned how they got that info I do not know It also said that the children hadn't seen their mother for a while. The kids had said that their father had claimed she no longer loved them. He's trying to poison them against the mother in some way for whatever reason. Because, I mean, she might not have loved her kids. We don't know. Who knows? But obviously these are the recollections that the care workers and police have written down when they've been questioning the children. Yeah, exactly. Other memories that Ramon has in particular was one day he found a gun in the house where they were staying and he and his brother Ricard were playing with it. In fact, he pointed it at Ricard, then he turned away and then squeezed the trigger and it went off. Oh my God. And he remembers his dad being absolutely furious. So he almost killed his brother with, you know, a gun that was in the A loaded gun. Yeah. Oh my God. So obviously this guy isn't, he's not a legit stand-up kind of guy. He's got guns lying around the place. This is intense that Ramon has all these, these memories because they are not normal memories. I wonder if he's just buried these for years. Could be. And I think they have done a bit of hypnosis, some of the children as well. He also remembers being driven to a beachside restaurant one day with his brother and sister. His dad left the engine running. He went inside. The kids were sitting in the car for a few minutes. Then dad comes back with his face all beaten up and bloody. (gasps) Okay. It's so mafia boss. This So mafia boss, right? Yeah, I love it. Now, four-year-old Ricard, who's no longer four years old, he also remembers a few things, like their Paris apartment with a view of the Eiffel Tower, so it must be in a good district, must be quite expensive living area, and his father in a hospital room. But this Mm. is all very frustrating to poor Elvira because she feels like she's not getting anywhere and she's got no memories to go on, all these different little things that her brothers have got. She's piecing things together, but it's not making much sense. But interestingly... Her brothers, with a lot more recollections, have never obviously felt the urge to find out what happened to them. What is their backstory? How did they end up? Well, if they did, they didn't do anything about it. But Mm. Elvira did. And then in March 2021, a friend of Elvira's who knew about her story and knew how she was trying to look through DNA and whatnot, put her in contact with a Catalan radio station where she did an interview for an early evening talk show But after the recording, Elvira had second thoughts about the whole thing. And she said, oh, can you please pull it? I don't want to go on. She said to the producers, don't do it. But they kind of convinced her it was a really good story and people would be fascinated. So please let us send it out. It did go out. 
mm-hmm. you know, as usual in the early evening, but she didn't even bother to listen to it. And she just went about her normal business. But then suddenly her phone started ping, ping, pinging because what she didn't realize, this show, which was called Islandia, Catalan Radio, had a listenership of more than 150,000 people. When her interview was on, mm-hmm. her phone's ringing, pinging, dinging. All of her friends, a lot of them didn't realize her backstory and they were really touched and a lot of people were offering to help her now for the search for her parents and her story. Did you steal my scrunchie? Oh, have a look in your hair bag. Oh, sorry, pet. What was that? This story resonated with so many people, like I said, that a lot of people decided to help out to find her father because she knows that there was a father, but where the hell is he? So with the help of crowdfunding and volunteers, they set up a Facebook page in Spanish and French and lots of armchair sleuths and genealogies <laughs> all jumped on top of that thing. Lots of tips. that's what they do. Yeah, that's what they do. There was a lot of false leads, obviously, and a lot of really out there theories as well. I mean, their story is so crazy already that the out there theories weren't considered to be that crazy after all. So they kind of looked into as many things as they could. Wow. There was one story that a former French prison officer came forward with who claimed that he had stopped off at a bar with her father to drink champagne whilst transferring him between jails. <laughs> okay. Like, so they got out, unhooked him, and then sat down and had a lovely bottle of champagne. Oh my God. Get the Dom Perignon. Holy shit. I mean, do you know what? Yeah. When it comes to mafia bosses, the money and the influence that they have, I would not be surprised if there was a little moment of, come on, last supper, let's have a bottle of, of champs. I'd ask that. Would you? Yeah. Bring on the champagne. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not that they would give it to me because I'm not a mafia they boss. They wouldn't. And also because you're a crim. But would do away with all that stuff. It's bread and water for you, little lady. Through this process, Elvira began making new friends and acquaintances. And there was one lady who's a forensic doctor named Montsi Del Rio. I love that name. Mont. C. Montsy. Montsy. It's like I, Chauncey. But I love the fact that there's a, a forensic doctor. Like that's I know, and her name's Montsy. Montsy. Yeah. Montsy Del Rio. What a great Sounds name. Sounds more like a porn star than a forensic doctor. Bless her heart. Sorry, Montsy. I don't mean to make judgments, but it does sound quite That's like when you, when you put them into Cartoony. The, it does. Like if you had um, one of those porn star name generators. Yeah. You might actually come up with Montsy Del Rio. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's because it sounds like Bianca Del Rio. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> Monty had experience working as a volunteer tracing relatives of newly discovered victims of death squads from the Spanish Civil War. So with this skill set, mm. she wanted to help Elvira and they became friends. That She was like Elvira's right-hand man during the whole process, right-hand woman. Woman. Then there was also another friend coming out of it called Carmen Pasta. She was a French-speaking 54-year-old amateur criminologist. And she was the one, actually, who, two months after the radio broadcast went out in May 21, she was the one who made a massive breakthrough. She went to Elvira, asked her for her DNA results, did something that Elvira didn't do. She hunted down all those distant matches and their relatives until she found a distant relative of a woman who showed a 1.4% match to Elvira and shared great-great-grandparents with Elvira as well. But that's a great lead because you can then trace that down, but that takes a lot of perseverance to get to that point. Perseverance, which obviously Carmen had. Carmen met this woman Mm -hmm. and the story of the three missing 
children sounded familiar to this woman. So she said, I'm going to go back to my family and ask more about it. And then she did go back to Carmen and Carmen was able to ring Elvira with the news that they may have found some family members finally after all this time. Okay, shit. She said to Elvira, this could be your second cousin. They remember there were three missing children and the eldest was called Ramon. So if this is legit, then Elvira's father was also called Ramon and their mother was called Rosario and they're from Seville and Madrid respectively. And that was more than Elvira had ever known at this point. So it was exciting times. That night, Elvira also received a call from a possible second cousin called Lorena. And if they were truly related, Lorena said that there were many more cousins, aunts and uncles who wanted to meet her. So they planned a video chat with her and Ramon, but not Ricard because he was living in the woods and doesn't use electronics. So it was just the two siblings. Mm -hmm. First time ever having conversation with these people on a video chat. So the family were calling from Madrid and they said that they once belonged to a like a marginalized tinker group called the Macheros. Now, I didn't look this up, but I'm assuming that's like gypsies or something. Maybe. Yeah. They had photos that they showed Elvira and her brother of them as small children. And also there was a picture of an old lady with them as well. Ramon immediately recognized her. He said, that's the old lady with the milk. In black with the milk. In black. And it was (gasps) their grandmother. That was their grandmother, Inez. Yep. But sadly, she had died in 2013. So they, she was never reunited with her grandchildren again. The most intriguing of all these photos were of a man and a woman cuddling the children, throwing them in the air, feeding them, pictures of them in different places and in cars, the kind of cars that the boys had remembered as children. And that yep. was their parents. So finally, they got to look upon the faces of their parents again. Their names Ramon Martos Sanchez and Rosario Cuetos Cruz. He was elegant with a broad smile and thick grey hair. And Rosario was attractive with dark hair. And at the time the children were abandoned, their parents would have been 34 and 35 years old. But since 1983, no one knew where they were and no one ever heard from them again. So So it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. And the thing is, shit like that doesn't just happen. Like... How do two adults just go missing, three kids get abandoned? If they've got this huge extended family, how come no one was looking for these kids? It's weird. Well, I think that they were, but they didn't know where to start. Mm. So Ramon Sr., the father, had six other siblings, but only one was still alive. And that was Aunt Luisa, who was by now really old and sick. And she died before Elvira could meet her, which is really sad because it was only two days after discovering that she had nephews and nieces that they'd been found. Okay, But the kids went on to meet her mother's family in Madrid the following weekend. And it was through this meeting, plus conversations with other family members, that Elvira had been able to piece together some of their history. The father and another of his brothers were burglars. Uh So that's the crime link. There had to be one. There had to be. In 1978, there had been a police shootout that Ramon senior had escaped to France with Rosario and they stayed with relatives in Paris and moved about a bit. No one really knew their address because they were on the run. With the kids? With Well, the kids hadn't been born yet, I don't think. Ramon senior remained part of the criminal world and climbed through the ranks and he was running jobs in France like counterfeit money and jewels and theft and all this kind of thing, theft of jewels. In the early 80s, there was a spate of bank heists in Paris 
that the family and now Elvira assumed her father had been involved with because her brothers remember seeing a box filled with glittering precious stones and a jar of coins and their father boasting their home was like Spain's national mint. Oh, my God. So he pulled off a really top job. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Criminal mastermind. The reason why I said they weren't on the run with the kids to begin with was because they had tried for a while to have children. So when they came along, the family insisted that there is no way that Rosario would not have loved her children. Yeah. That mother definitely loved her children. And they had kept in constant contact with their relatives in Spain too, Rosario and Ramon, Mm -hmm. through letters, postcards, photographs, phone calls. And the children were occasionally sent to Madrid to stay with grandmother Ines and drink all that milk. (laughs) But in May 1983, which is almost a year before the children were abandoned, suddenly all communication had stopped on both sides of the family. Right. Every now and again, there'd be a phone call to the family with a, a French woman shouting Rosario and Ramon down the phone, but no one spoke French and the calls just ended up stopping after a while. So the families considered reporting them missing, but they didn't trust the police because they knew about this lifestyle. Yeah. And what if Ramon and Rosario and their children were running from the law? They didn't want to dob them in. Yeah, fair enough. They consulted a fortune teller who told them that the children were fine, but the parents were in a dark place. I.e. Dead. 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 Probably. Under the ground. I'd say so. Yeah. Six feet under. Elfira's newly found aunt was thrilled to have reconnected. This is on her mother's side. Was thrilled to have reconnected with the children, but still worries about her sister, the children's mother, Rosario. Whatever happened to her? Yeah. You know, there's no answers. There's no sign of her. So Rosario would call her sister from a French payphone. And during the final phone conversation in May 1983, Rosario explained to her sister that Ramon Sr. was very ill, which kind of tallies with what the other relatives suggest about time in hospitals in Paris. He had tuberculosis, apparently. Uh, So he was on borrowed time, potentially. Yeah. So for a long time, the sister, whose name is Aunt Felisa, she worried that he might have passed away, which left Rosario alone with the kids. But the thing is, there was money. There was money because those kids were in designer clothes. They remember all those flashy cars. But not just that, they remember staying with their dad at the end. Right. So growing up, poor old Elvira would often wonder if her age was correct because there were no birth certificates to prove their age, but their births were registered in Spain on the closest Saints' Day, The 25th of January 1982 was for St. Elvira. Okay. But now they had their mother's and father's real names. They were able to get their volunteer genealogists in France to find um, Elvira's actual birth certificate. And she found it. They found it. Wow. She was born in Paris on the 29th of December 1981. So it wasn't too far off. Wow. The brothers' birth certificates also confirmed that all three children had been born in Paris, but in different addresses. And Ricard had to add seven months to his already existing age, because that was how badly out it was. But Ramon only had 12 weeks. Okay. So all good. Not too shocking. Um, did I get that right? I don't know what you're saying. Full of shit. More information was then revealed about their father. He seemed charming and pleasant. But there were some conflicting information from a brother who had disowned him because he beat Rosario as well as as a terrible womanizer. Where this information is coming from, I don't know, because all of his family had died apart from that one sister. So maybe this is through nephews and nieces and cousins and whatnot. 
it's just all about piecing together all the bits and pieces, really. Yeah, and there's a lot. There's so many relatives with different fragments of information. Yeah. To pull that all together, it's a big task. Exactly. So being as Paris was the last place that their parents had contacted family members from, Elvira figured that that was the place that she should really focus her attention. So in March 2022, Elvira continued the search. And every now and again, she'd get a whiff of something, but it wouldn't come to anything. Unfortunately, she had to leave before the opportunity to visit the address on her birth certificate came up. Mm -hmm. And that's when the Guardian journalist, Giles Tremlett, who wrote the story I read, stepped in. He got involved. He went along and started asking a load of ex-gangsters about Ramon Senior or Denis. And in fact, he went to La Scala in Catalonia, which is where a lot of the old mafia and gangsters just seemed to end up. And that's also where the children had a lot of memories from their childhood as well. Amazing. So together with Elvira and her husband, Giles, who was the journalist from The Guardian, went along and met the daughter of a former French mafia boss. She was very touched by their story, but unfortunately she was unable to shed any light. But she did say that she knew what it was like to grow up in that kind of family. She recalls that her own father had once sent her and her brother away in a panic after hearing rumours that a rival gang planned to kidnap them. Right. So that fear was probably very real. And if they were, these children were abandoned, it makes sense that it was for their own safety at the end of the day. Because look at them, you know, they grew up with loving parents and they're alive with guns the new ones oh yeah yeah. the adopted parents they don't have guns Mm. you know they they were adopted by lovely people who really looked out for them so yeah thank god but i mean when you're leaving your child like that you don't know what's gonna become of them later that year elvira met with her father's 90 year old aunt manola aunt manola Mm -hmm. was really old but she does remember that the children's mother once hit her so she was quite a hot tempered woman so rosario was fiery she was fiery and she had a reputation of having a temper ramon senior and rosario if they were still alive would now be in their mid-70s and elvira believes that if they were alive surely they would have searched the internet by now if they knew how to use it and found them so yeah i think pretty much that the fact that they've never made contact means that they're probably dead and disappeared in a typically gangster-style execution or something. And probably their bodies will never be found. Fed to pigs. And like you said, they couldn't have kids. So when the kids came along, there was no way she was leaving those kids. No, exactly. So they're dead. I would say mum probably was murdered first or disappeared yeah. first and then dad copped it. Yeah. And then this guy, Denis, maybe had some sort of information on what to do next with the children. He didn't want to raise them because the target would be on his back then. So he just made them all disappear. So there are still some lines of investigation to be explored. However, attempts to see the police files regarding their abandonment and their father's criminal past have all failed. They can't get hold of them for some reason. As in they're being denied? Denied access? I think so. Weird. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. But the fact that Elvira has all these volunteers on her side has really helped. Of course. Every step of the way. And through that experience, she's now got a load of cousins and aunts and uncles and access to her birth family, which is wonderful. And she's got so much in common with them. And now she has a relationship with them as well. So that's at least a silver lining. Sadly, the answers to their actual questions, though, there's still none. 
But the last that Giles, the writer of the article, saw of them, they were still searching. And that is the end of my story about three abandoned children in the Barcelona train station. Do you know what? It's so fascinating. And this is the kind of story that I would love a psychic investigator to get involved in. Where is Jason D. Rothfall when you need him? Really? I, you know, I actually think it's the kind of story that would touch him. Should we just try? I wonder if he'll find them in a lake in Lancashire. Sorry. Oh, oh my God, you bitch. <laughs> You're evil. You know, he doesn't like to travel too far. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Bless him. That, it's a really fascinating story. And... It makes you wish that you had fluent Spanish and could get on the internet or go and... Give a bit of a hand. Yeah, Yeah. because I think it must be really awful not to know and not to have any memories as well. Yeah. And be so close. It is. There's a huge piece of your life missing. And I know how that feels because I didn't know for 25 years what my history was. And, And I think it does make a difference in your life when you have something and at least they've got something they've got all these cousins that have come forward but they don't know the final details that are gonna but then no one knows no one knows what the final details are and she could be looking for the rest of her life Mm. and I think the good thing is that she is just doing that she needs to do it she needs to know and like you said the fact that she's got all these cousins and family members and stories and pictures photographs that she I mean they were sending pictures back Ramon and Rosario. So now they've got that link to their childhood. They don't feel as if it's been stolen from them. Yeah. Look, I actually think that in many ways this is a happy ending. It's not a conclusive ending. It's not the ending they wanted. But for those children, the missing children, all adults now with their own kids and families, yeah, they've got something. And yeah. it is, I think, the happiest ending they could probably have hoped for. Yeah. It's sad that they didn't have their parents and they didn't have time with their parents who dearly loved them. Mm. But equally, they were raised by another couple who did also love them with all their heart and gave them a safe and secure and loving upbringing. And I think that's a gift. So do I. And what a brilliant story. Thank you so much. And thanks to Yannicka for... You're welcome. ...alerting us. And thanks to Giles. Thanks to Giles for writing it and doing all the investigation. Thanks, Giles. I've just pretty much just used your entire article is my research but it was such a well-written article it was very evocative and following Elvira every step of the way yeah it was beautiful I'm gonna have to have to link to it in the show notes so people can read you know all the the full details so incredible Geordie or wreck off your dag (laughs) piss off no I can bury you fucked see you next Tuesday give me black dog up yeah So we don't have time for you to give us a story this week. So maybe next week you can give us a whole story on something exciting. Oh, I will. Free reign. Oh, I will. Go out there. Get out there and find something interesting for us to listen to. Absolutely. And really, until then, there's only one thing left to say. What would that be, Michelle? Wherever you are. Oh, it's that time. Whatever you do. Just keep eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping, dropping, eavesdropping, 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 dropping, 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 dropping